Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that has taken the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. He did. That's a strikeout. Scott offered, according to the third base umpire. Tell him. <laughs> that is three consecutive strikeouts for Nate Ackenhausen. Yo, what is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co host. My partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross. And Jim, we got episode 25 titled Nasty Nate because tonight we got LSU on the brain. We got LSU star pitcher and formerly national champion. I know you're excited to talk LSU baseball with the national champion, with your boy Nate Ackenhausen. Bro, before we get to Nate's story, before we talk all things LSU, the In Off the Bench Podcast Network is brought to you by Chinook Seedery. Whether you're on the field or in the boardroom signing deals, Chinook will help you get the job done. Memphis City Designs, get your brand's gear and logos on everything from shoes to underoos. Memphis City has got you covered. Get your IOTB podcast gear while supplies last. The season is this weekend. Get your gear, support your teams, get the colors of all your teams, and let's get ready to ride. Smith's Plumbing Services, sink clog, drain clog, toilet clog, or anything in between. Call Dustin at Smith's Plumbing Services. They'll take good care of you. And finally, Old Dominic Distillery. Experience 150 years of tradition in the heart of downtown Memphis. From bourbon to vodka, whiskey to gin, Old Dominic's has you covered. Stop in today for a tour or just to pick up your favorite bottle. And as always, tell them DB and Jim from the In Off the Bench podcast sent you. Jim, you hear the music. It's party time, man. It's Mardi Gras, Super Bowl, the whole nine. It's a big week. We got guests lined up, jammed packed and i'm excited man because college baseball starts in a few days so let's ring in the new season with our guest with the biggest interview in podcasting this week our man lsu pitcher nate ackenhausen
All right, let's go. We have a member of the powerhouse on tonight, Nate Ackenhausen. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How about y'all? Man, we are always blessed to have a guest on here, but you know me. You see the posters behind me. Your poster is offset to the right. Um, should have should have maneuvered the camera, you know, but it's all good. Uh so anytime we have an LSU Tiger on here, I'm absolutely ecstatic. Uh want the world to be able to hear your story. But before we get into that, you know, we got to break the ice. Obviously, the biggest trending topic in the, the country right now is the Super Bowl. Um, first off, gotta know, did you attend a Super Bowl party? Um, we had a little get together at Southgate apartments we live at. So there's a couple guys on the team that are here, and we we went over to one of their uh, apartments and watched it as a group. Well, the the real question is, was there food, and if there was, what was the best food item they had? Uh, there's a little bit of food. Um, one of their girlfriends made uh, some buffalo chicken dip, and then uh, some mac and cheese, and uh, mac and cheese ran out quick, so I just <laughs> had some buffalo dip. Hey, as long as they got the Buffalo dip, we uh we were asking the question prior to the Super Bowl to the guests, what's the one item must have? And that was universally the answer. So you had the right item there. And Daniel said it's pretty much impossible to mess up Buffalo chicken dip. So if you did by chance have some bad dip, um, yeah, don't go to their their gatherings anymore. <laughs> so as far as the game, you know, was it were you entertained? I don't know if you're a big football guy. I do know that you played a little bit in high school. Um, did you find it to be an entertaining game? Did you like uh, you know, who won all that stuff? Um, I thought it was kind of boring. Uh I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan, so I was kind of salty. Uh <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I kind of expected the Chiefs to win. So Yeah, I mean, I think you said the truth though, especially the first half. The first half was about as boring as it mm -hmm. gets, and you know. It was only, uh, you know, more upbeat at the end, really, because even the third quarter went went pretty slow. So I agree with you. It, you know, it seems like it's, you know, one of the greatest games ever, right? You go to overtime. But in, in the grand scheme of things, I think you were right. Um, it was pretty boring, and especially when, you know, you're a Baltimore fan and you look at Baltimore or Buffalo and some of the games they've played in uh, this year, you, you would have liked to have seen something more high-scoring, more impactful. But Nonetheless, it wasn't a bad game. You know, one of the other big talks is always the halftime show. Um, how did you feel about that? I thought it started off really slow, and then it it definitely got way better towards the end. We were kind of talking as a, a little group making fun of Usher, and then he, he stepped up at, towards the end of it. Yeah, uh, my wife and daughter were all about it through all phases. There was numerous squealing uh, incidents, and then – you know, Nate, what really bothered me the most was they were all about this game for, you know, the Taylor Swift thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, Daniel will tell you, I'm a psychopath when it comes to LSU football and Saints football, and they don't support my teams, and them winning is monumental because you'll get a happy life if my team wins. Mm -hmm. They never watch my team and support, but yet Travis Kelsey wins, and they're so happy for Taylor and Travis, and it's like, Y'all don't even get happy like that when my team wins, and it actually impacts your life on a daily basis. Make exactly. it make sense. I don't know, man. <laughs> Women. But, you know, overall, like, uh, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't bad, but, you know, it, it set up what we know is important, Nate, and this is what I saw all down my, my Twitter feed, and I know you're probably not a big social media guy, but I love seeing everybody saying, what you know when the Super Bowl o is over means it's college baseball time. And that's ultimately the best part about it was the game was over and we know it's time for powerhouse baseball. Exactly. 
So, Nate, it's um, it's finally good to have you on because we've spent some months now talking about you and really the the coming of the LSU pitching staff from the beginning of last season up until a national championship. So I'm sure, you know, being part of the staff, you you heard the rumblings, you heard what was said, you read, and even, you know, you might have felt it. Um, but at the end of the day, you guys stepped up, you did what you had to do, and you had an amazing season culminating with, obviously, you know, getting to hoist a national championship. Um, but before we get to LSU, we gotta we gotta take a step back. We gotta we gotta get your story. We gotta find out a little bit about you. So tell me a little bit about your hometown. Where are you from? So I'm from Owasso, Oklahoma. It's a it's a six A school, which is the biggest in Oklahoma. Six A is, and uh, yeah, I was born and raised there pretty much. And you got mom, mom, dad in the in the picture, brothers, yeah. sisters. Uh, mom and dad are in the picture, and then um, I got one younger brother and one younger sister. All right. Are they athletes as well? Uh, my brother's done playing baseball. He tried the JUCO thing. Uh, he didn't really enjoy it. And then my sister's going to play uh, softball in college. Gotcha. Who's 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 a better athlete out of everybody? Me. You? <laughs> what about mom, dad? I mean, you, you guys had to get that from somebody, right? I was, uh, my mom was a cheerleader in high school, and I uh, played a little bit of softball. My dad played football in high school, but nothing past it. You know, given, you know, they, they grew up obviously playing sports and then, you know, you grow up playing sports. Was there any pressure to play sports or was it just something that you knew that you were going to do just because you were picking up balls and bats, you know, from as early as you could? No, I think, uh, I think being like from a young age, I kind of, they kind of like put us into sports. I think I started off playing soccer, which was, I didn't really enjoy it, I guess um but no they just kept putting us in different sports and I think I just I'm very competitive and I think that's where it got me hooked and ever since then I was playing baseball football and basketball until I got to high school and then I kind of just stuck with uh baseball as you're growing up I mean everyone has that one person that they you know look to as far as an influential or an impactful person in in regards to their growth and career as they grow up um, who was that person for you? It was definitely my mom. She's uh, she'll get on to me. Like if I'm not putting in the full effort, she'll she'll let me know. So uh, every every game, whatever. If it if I had a bad game, she'd let me know. She let me have it. Wow. So she didn't she didn't hold any any punches. She let you have it. She you know told you how it was. You know, good, bad, indifferent you know, ugly, dirty, whatever it was, like she lets you know. Um, it's probably a good thing, you know. Obviously, you know, the maturity level has to be there to, you know, to take that kind of feedback. But I think that's the only way to give it. Like you don't want to beat around the bush, especially if if you have any kind of aspirations of being something at a higher level, you know, because you're going to have to fix whatever you're doing and, and, and adjust and not make those mistakes again. But ultimately you got to grow and develop. Um, you mentioned high school baseball um, in Oklahoma. What is the level of competition out in Oklahoma? Obviously we hear a lot about Oklahoma and, and Texas, um, you know, being in Louisiana now, like there's a good high school, you know, um, elite 
talent down there. So what's it like in Oklahoma? Um, Oklahoma's really like really good players in Oklahoma. Um, a lot of them don't make it out and they just go the JUCO route, which there's a ton of JUCOs in Oklahoma. And so like you kind of grow up playing against all these kids and then you grow up playing against them in college, a lot of JUCO. And then once you make it out of JUCO, you end up playing them at the next level too. Uh, my class in particular, there was a lot of talent in my class. Uh, like Cade Horton, Dax Fulton, uh, Jackson Wiggins, like a lot of those guys came from my class. And it was probably what made me so competitive is there being so many good high school uh, athletes and uh, kind of just like in the rankings and all that, you know, tr trying to pass everybody up. Yeah, multiple pros there. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, at what point do you go, man, I think, I think baseball is something I want to do outside of high school i want to take this to college i want to take it to the next level it was definitely my freshman year kind of like i think at that time i was playing basketball and football still in high school and after all the seasons ended i was just like i think baseball is the one i want to go with you know football is a very big thing at our high school and they were trying to get me to add weight and baseball is trying to get me to lose weight and then basketball terms it's just kind of bad with baseball season basketball goes into baseball season so I kind of just made the made the move and you know being left-handed kind of made it easy. Yeah, it's um it's one of those things like dual sport football, baseball is a really good offset. Um mm -hmm. obviously as you get to higher levels it starts being, you know, more conflicting. Um but that basketball, that that threesome like cuz it's jammed right in the middle of the two, it's really hard to like take time off and recover or get really good and practice for the other. So you feel like you might be spending like, you know, 60% of your effort on three different things, as opposed to a hundred percent of your effort on one. So. And I still, I still played rec ball, rec basketball till I think my senior year. And I just a couple guys that still want to play the sport, but weren't on the high school team or anything. And uh, it was fun, you know, just, just limit practice, all that, just get together. Yeah, I mean, probably average more points, have better games just because there's no pressure. You get to go out there and just do whatever, you know. There's no, yeah, there you go. So you end up going to Eastern Oklahoma State. You posted an 8-1 record um, in 2022 with a 1.84 ERA. You had 14 walks, 89 strikeouts, and 58.2 innings. Um in 2021, you had 56 strikeouts. You had a 1.61 ERA in 28 innings. It's safe to say you absolutely crushed and dominated JUCO. Um, how good is the level of talent in Oklahoma JUCO? So we, we talked about the, the high school guys and JUCO being really a, a popular avenue for them. So I'm assuming that the JUCO in, in Oklahoma is pretty stacked. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um... Like I said, a lot of the high schoolers you grow up playing against or, you know, travel ball buddies, they all go to different JUCOs. And uh, I was just blessed to be at Eastern uh, when everybody was there, if that makes sense. Um, my first year at my uh, junior college, we had three guys that were the starters. One, one was my buddy that I went to high school with, and he's now with the Royals. His name was David Stanley. He played at OU. And they all three were touching 100 miles per hour, so I was just like the – guy throwing 90 in the bullpen and uh 
I guess that first season, what really helped me was the guy would come in after every single time was throwing a hundred. He was like the hardest one. He would constantly hit it. And, but he threw a two seam and I were, I throw a right fastball. So, you know, you come in after a guy throwing a hundred and you throw a complete different thing and different arm slot, different arm side. So that kind of helped me out, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of talent. I know those stats doesn't, don't like scream. There was a ton of talent, but if you were there, you would know. I mean, when you're telling me you're throwing 90 and from the, from the left side and you're having to follow up guys throwing triple digits, like, all right, I, I, I get it, man. There's, there's some, there's some talent there. Um, but for you, like, obviously following up those guys, you have to have the right mindset because you could either take that one or two ways. You can go, damn, like these guys are throwing a hundred miles an hour. I'm throwing 90 ish. Like, what am like, am I doing something wrong? Like, that's kind of how I would look at it. Like, what am I not doing that they're doing? Um, but it seems like your mentality was, I have a different wrinkle than what they have. And me following them up will allow me to be more successful because, you know, not only that is I'm going to be able to throw something different at these guys that they're not used to seeing. So in that regards, is that what you would say was the big part of your success or was there something else that you did differently? Did you train different? Did you do something different? Did you have, you know, different mechanics? You know, what was it that really like helped aid your success at the JUCO level? I think just having a whippy arm, if that makes sense. Like, you know, how some guys throw tight. I was just a very whippy guy at that level. And uh, I think a lot of them were more stiff. And of course we had one guy that was left-handed throwing a hundred, um, but he, how our Juco worked, it was three game series and it was nine, seven, nine. So he would just throw the whole seven innings. So I didn't have to worry about coming in after him. Um, but no, I kind of just, I've always been like a, a fastball command guy. Like I can command it to wherever I want, wherever you call it. And then just throwing pitches off of it, if that makes sense, like uh, tunneling. And I think that's what helped me out a ton. And especially in Juco, like if you, if you play a good Juco, probably one through seven is pretty good. You Throw you, you play a okay Juco one through five and then a bad one, you're still going to have one through four probably are going to be very good. So kind of just knowing who you're playing. And a lot of those guys you grow up playing against, so you already know how to pitch to them. So it all helped out. Yeah, that's the the one thing that, you know, as a as, you know, even a player, once I got to college, the one thing that I noticed is that the hitters were were much better. <laughs> Like, there were no holes, really. Like, you couldn't miss pitches. You still had to be focused and locked in and hit spots. And even still, the hitters were good enough. Like, even if you did hit a spot with a good pitch, like, sometimes they get hit, you know? Um, and then as a coach, having to, like, hammer that into the guys, like, you have to have the mentality and the mindset and the drive to come out and be tunneled and zoned in and locked in every single pitch because the minute that you're not is when you make a mistake and you can't make mistakes because they're going to get hit and they're going to get hit hard. Um, limit them. Yeah. Limit them. My biggest you know. thing is you just got to limit the mistakes and you're going to, especially at this level now, SEC, you're going to throw pitches that you wanted to throw and they're going to hit it. They're going to hit it out and you just got to tip your cap. Say, all right, you, you, hit, you hit the pitch I was supposed to throw whatever. Just, it sucks but at the same it, time it's like mitigate the damage hopefully there's nobody on and you know exactly. 
if there is people on, make them earn their way on. Um, don't give it to them. And, you know, you, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that you guys, I'm sure, are, are, it's just ingrained in you guys um, from, from the jump. But, you know, so after all this success, when does LSU come into the picture for you? So my – how my JUCO kind of worked is they – that's why we were so good is because they kind of kept us there for two years. They wouldn't just kind of let you walk. I mean, you could if you had the offer and all that. So after my first year, um, I actually was a two-way my first year, and I went to go play in the Appalachian League. It was the first year of that, and I was hitting there. And uh, I had a couple schools call in, and nothing was official. And then my first big offer was South Carolina. And did they, I, did they want you to to do both? So the only really school that wanted me to do both was Indiana State. And oh, uh, man, the sycamore! I mean, man. he he could have been get playing them to at the, the left cemetery. field cemetery. Yeah, I'm on you, bro. So they they uh they were the only ones. Um, I'm sure Oral Roberts would have gave me a shot, uh, just being a local boy. But um, I had like Washington State, Oklahoma State, but they all started to offer me as soon as I moved back into junior college. And I was already moved in. And I pretty much told them, like, uh, I'm already here. Like, uh, we can keep talking, but I'm, I don't plan on leaving. And, so they, uh, they thought you were you were already moved in and committed and, and kind of geared up to, to play another season at JUCO. They were fully expecting you to be like, Oh yeah, I'll I'll just come now. Be yeah, good. well, yeah, I guess because I mean, if if you ever if you're ever in Oklahoma and you go to Eastern Oklahoma, there's not much there. Like we we don't have a locker room, we don't have anything really. And uh, so I get there, and honestly, my uh, head coach at the time there, he honestly said that he didn't take the Dallas Baptist job because of me, because he was expecting me fully to leave. And so when I came back, he decided to turn down that job. And he kind of brought the team together and said, like, this is why I'm here. I was like, oh. Hey, Nate, but, I was asked – I was uh, told to ask you if you still got your fork. I don't know what that means, but I'm told to ask you. Here, I'll just take the wristband off. Oh, keep your All fork. Right. Uh, we, we need an explanation. I'm told to ask you that, but I don't know what that means. Um. So, pretty much to sum it up was – Keep your fork because the best is yet to come, uh, like dessert. And so our head coach, his dad would send him articles all the time and it was just junk mail and he would never read it. And this was like the one he read. And so it stuck with him. And it was like this long story, but just to keep it short, that's pretty much what it is, is best yet to come. So keep your fork. I like it. I like that, Daniel. How often do you see somebody walking around with a wristband, got a fork on it? <laughs> you know, it's great is – he still got it. Exactly. It, Actually, it, it really I'll be, I'll be honest. It it uh broke, and my mom texted my uh, old head coach, and they shipped me one. Nice. I remember when my LSU one that I wore the whole 2019 football season broke during the national championship of all times, and my <laughs> wife had to frantically at the bar find me some tape and tape that bad boy together because uh, LSU was losing at the time. And uh, I felt uh, very superstitious. And I was like, we don't get this wristband fixed. But, um, you know, y'all were talking about Velo, Nate. And it's, you know, I've always read all the science on it. Obviously, watch baseball. But, you know, the more and more I learn, you know, when it comes to spin rate and everything else, you know, 
sometimes velo could be overhyped because I think about a high school matchup that I saw, and you're familiar with both these guys. The best high school duel I ever saw was between Hunter Elliott and Brady Tiger. Mm-hmm. And Hunter Elliott was steady 90-91 and cruising because he was painting the corners. Um, you know, just the the way he was putting it, it was really it was really messing batters up. Meanwhile, Brady was trying to blow it by him at 98, which while he was successful when he hit the strike zone, he had seven full counts that game. Meanwhile, Hunter's just one, two, three pitches. And it was that game where I realized sometimes it's not about how hard you can throw. Just like you said, picking your spots, locating Mm -hmm. it perfect. And so that was one of those learning moments for me where I was like, you know, sometimes it can be over. It can be overhyped. Yes, it is a great tool. Like you definitely want to throw 98, 99, 100 if you can. But I mean, if you can locate and control it, if you got great spin rate, um, and then like you were talking about your secondary uh, pitches. So, but you know, you get to LSU and, you know, even before a national championship, it doesn't matter. There's already six of them uh, lined up. It's a place of prestige. Alex box is a top five, top three stadium, just depending on who's rating it. Um, You know, you're playing with some massive names. You're coming in there with obviously guys like uh, Skeens, Cruz, you know, Dugas, Beloso, Joe Bear, you know, just go through all day. Ty Floyd, you know, were you intimidated at all? Or were you like just super pumped because you're coming to a school that has, you know, that kind of expectations with those kind of guys? Um, I guess you could say I was pumped. Uh, I actually kind of never looked into rankings, if that makes sense. Like, I, of course, I knew who Dylan Cruz was. I actually really didn't know who Paul Skeens was. I never, like, kind of <laughs> looked into, like, Division I, One baseball. I still don't know who he is. <laughs> but, uh, I always knew what LSU was, and I knew the fan base was crazy, and that's kind of why I committed here is just knowing that you're going to have the stands packed and people cheering for you, and it's going to be kind of like an MLB game. And uh, that was the main reason to say I knew we were going to be good. I knew I, I saw something like they had the number one recruiting recruited class out of freshmen, and uh, – Honestly, just coming here knowing that you got to compete for a job, I just didn't want something handed to me, you know, fighting for something. And that's kind of kind of why I came here. And, of course, it doesn't hurt to be pitching to Dylan Cruz. You know, you're learning stuff. You're, that's the level you want to be at. So Yeah, no doubt. Ton, a ton of professional hitters you're facing. And what you said about Paul Skeens, you know, he came on here before the season last year and talked about it and how Air Force just didn't provide for him the opportunities that LSU would. And I think you saying that you didn't really know who he was is, a you know, evidence of that, right? Because Air Force is not a program um, that's going to be able to do the things for you to LSU. Sure, he would have been drafted and he would have been highly coveted, but he wouldn't have became the pitcher that he became this past season. And so, uh, you know, he made the right move. You made the right move, clearly. Uh, you know, early in the season, LSU, a lot of the – there was a lot of grumbling about the bullpen. But, you know, I went back and looked, and I tried to remember. And, you know, you weren't one of the guys. Like, there was a lot of guys that people, you know, questioned. But I went back and looked, and you had 19 outings, and only two were were tough. And, you know, it wasn't out the gate. I mean, you were you were hot right out the gate. You were pretty consistent all year. There was really never a question mark on you. So – how are you able to have such success, you know, right out the gate? I think it's kind of what you said earlier, uh, just commanding my pitches, you know, not walking. I think that's the biggest thing is letting, giving up free bases, like walks, hit by pitches. And uh, whenever you can control the fastball, 
and then you got off-speed pitches to help it out, just making people get off balance and knowing that in that O2 area, it's like, yeah, you want to punch him out, but at the same time, you don't want to build it back up to 3-2, and now it's his pitch. So just kind of knowing, hey, I got this guy on his front foot. If I throw a change up to him, he's either going to punch out or roll over. He's not going to do damage with it, just that type of stuff. And just believing in my stuff, I, I stand on the mound and think I'm the greatest. I have a very – uh I, I, it sounds cocky, but I just – you have to be in that mental stage. You can't be up there and scared or, you know, you're probably not going to do anything. So Daniel Daniel's always talked about it. As a guy who was a relief pitcher, he said you're not going to be successful if you don't have that mindset. So I don't think – if you don't have some kind of arrogance or killer instinct, you're really going to struggle coming in in a bullpen role for sure. Because um, you're going you're gonna to come in – when you don't want to, <laughs> it's gonna be the worst time. I, I'm still, I'm still Daniel. When Landon Sims came on here way back when and said, right after he came on and faced Texas, had to come in with bases loaded, nobody out, and said he thrived. He he wanted that moment. I was like, who wants that moment? I mean, a guy who throws sliders like he does. Yeah, I mean, uh... well, that game he threw all he blew number fastballs by him. But yeah, Nate had no problem. He picked, you know, Daniel there. If you want to pick a moment to make sure everybody knows who you are, he decides he's going to come on the scene um, and really make a splash. Texas, uh, at Texas, February 28th, you know, Daniel, a sold-out midweek game. You just don't see those. He works three and a third shutout innings against the Longhorns, just allowing one hit, one walk with four strikeouts. You know, talk about that atmosphere, Nate, and then just, you know, how good it felt to be able to go there and absolutely just shove against a top Texas team. So – so that was one thing I was going to bring up is I love pitching on the road. I, li I like people, you know, talking their thing, you know, trying to trying to put you down and just cheering against you. It fires me up and it motivates me. And so, you know, being from Oklahoma, my dad was an OU fan. Uh, I never grew up liking Texas. So I just had a little bit more under the table and uh, I was just waiting for my name to get called. And as soon as my name got called, I was so excited running out of the bullpen. I knew that the student section's right there, and I have no idea what they were saying, but I'm sure it was <laughs> probably wasn't good stuff, and it was just motivating me. And then it was just it just felt good staying on that mound. And every time you you got someone out, it just like you kind of heard the crowd kind of shut down. And there was one I, I can't remember what happened, but I think a bunt maybe, and then a throw down the line or whatever, and you the the crowd got back into it and just punching that next kid out or whatever and them all just sitting down kind of felt real good yeah absolutely and so that was a like I said a big game one that that puts you on the map and people really kind of got an understanding of what you brought and you know we had a talk the other day about guys in the middle innings you know the starters are always known the closers are you know people people know Gidry and then people are going to ski and typhoid but the guys in the middle because it was me and Griffin Herring that was having this talk um, you are the most underrated guys in baseball. Um, it's it's, it's kind of like you know in football, right? The fullback clears the hole, and the mm -hmm. running backs go run through the same kind of thing for the closer. And so, um, yeah, just playing a role that's really underappreciated because so many times throughout the season you came in and were able to eat up those middle innings, get us out of jams and everything. And uh, you know, you were really rolling, but then you did get hampered by an injury. You know, your hamstring. You know. Let me ask you, when it comes to injuries like that, was it something that you completely healed of or was it something that kind of nagged you throughout the rest of the season? So I've never really had leg problems. And I remember I threw a pitch and I felt some in my leg. And I was like, what was that? And then I threw another pitch and it was a pass ball. And I had to like run home and I couldn't. 
And then I threw one more pitch, and and then I think it was a pass ball again. And I tried to run home, and that's when they caught on, and they came out there, and they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't – I think I'm cramping, or I just pulled my hammy. And they were like, you're done. And I tried to talk myself into staying out there. They wouldn't let me. And so I got in there, and then, uh, of course, the trainer ran some tests and said I pulled my hammy. And I kind of uh, – it took me some time to get back, but uh, once I was back fully, I I never even thought about it, if that makes sense. Like, I it never really agged me back on. It was just kind of a fluke. Yeah, no, that's good because, I mean, like I said, sometimes it, that can kind of nag you throughout the way, and we may have not known it. That's why I asked you. I didn't know if it was one of those things you battled through, but that was good that um, it had went away. So, you know, I want to talk to you about the Alex Box, you know, environment through regionals and super regionals, you know absolutely electric packed out you know what's it like just being a part of that environment and having that fan base just be absolutely electric like that uh, it's awesome it's, it's called a velo boost it's pretty much what it is when you get that adrenaline so when they're cheering you on you know everything's working and honestly it probably intimidates other players the other teams so yeah it's, it's awesome and so you know y'all obviously punch your ticket to omaha you know and you pick LSU for a reason. You obviously want to develop individually, but you go there as for a team guy. Um, it starts with Omaha. That's what me and Daniel always talk to you guys about. Obviously, you want to win the national championship, but it always starts with Omaha. You got to get to Omaha first. So, you know, when y'all end up punching that ticket and you make it like, you know, did you feel really, you know, vindicated in, in your choice that, you know, I chose the right place to be? Um, Actually, I was kind of – when I talked earlier about like picking here because the fans, that was also another big talk with my parents was I just wanted to win a national championship and I want to go somewhere that was going to have the best shot at doing that. And so um, honestly, when we punched our ticket to go there, it felt good. But at the same time, I kind of knew the job wasn't done. Like, yeah, we're going to Omaha. And at the time I didn't realize how cool it was, but now looking back on it, like it's cool being in Omaha. That was one of the coolest things ever. But well, yeah, we kind of all just knew we had a job. The job wasn't finished, and you know, it was just the next step. Well, what it did for a lot of us fans that talk a lot, you know, I was covering the Mississippi State series, which you know, obviously left a nasty taste in everybody's mouth, whether player, coach, fan, or you know, anybody else in between. And you know, naturally left a little question mark. You know, I all season I thought, you know, this title is ours, and I started started to have a little doubt and the way you guys played in regional super regionals, once the ticket was punched, I was back like, okay, you know, we've gotten ourselves back. And then you, you know, obviously, you know, as you know, the bullpen solidifying themselves going into Omaha is like, okay, we, we got this thing. And so once we punched the ticket, I was back thinking, okay, like we've gotten over, you know, that little uh, obstacle that we went through. And, you know, I think every team needs to go through that because if you look at Ole Miss and Mississippi state, the two years before, they had the same thing. I, I feel like every team has to be punched in the mouth um, to be able to to get through that final phase. It, it's never just cruise control because look at a team like Tennessee, right, where they were a cruise control and then they got punched in the mouth and it was the exit home because they never got it before. So I feel like you got to have it sometime before. Um, and unfortunately, it was that Mississippi State series where, like, uh, it just wasn't fun to be at, especially with the the LSU dads. I don't think I've ever seen them so uh, upset, Nate. It was, it was I couldn't have got out of town quick enough. <laughs> exactly. Um, but let's talk about Tennessee, dude. Man, um, we've had that whole lineup on this show, man. We know every one of those guys. And on the biggest stage in Omaha, you talked about 
you know, obviously it's not a hostile environment. We uh, LSU fans really took that thing over, but nonetheless, you're not at home. Um, you just absolutely shoved, man. You have never started before, and you go out there and start, and you go six innings. Um, you only allow four hits, no walks, which that was the key thing I was going to bring up. And then you brought up not giving free passes. You give up no walks, um, allow no runs, have seven strikeouts. So, man, you know, who injected the ice water in your veins before that game? Um, nobody. I just kind of, <laughs> I kind of woke up the, the night before I, I knew I was starting, or I guess the night he, of the game. He the kept day. his fork. That's what happened. <laughs> he still had his fork. He was ready. So pretty much I, I, uh, the night before kind of talking like, who's going to start. And I kind of had this, I had this weird feeling going to sleep. I was like, is, is this my time? And so I wake up the next day. I, I can't even remember what time, but I said it in the interviews after it was like late. And I kind of slept in. I just checked my phone, and I'm like, oh, I got a text. Look at it. It says you're starting. And so ever since I saw that start, I was just like, I called my mom and said, hey, I'm starting. And she she kind of motivated me to do good and uh, just kind of like took it like any other game. I mean, you always want to do good. It's not like you're going to – I feel like the worst thing I could have done was try to change my whole routine up and try to do more. You never want to do more. Nothing comes out of – nothing what? good comes out of trying to do more. What was different? Obviously, it you had was was the routine of of starting a game. Was it the environment? Was it the bullpen? Like what? Something had to have been different. So, I guess kind of just having more time to get ready. I would like I said my second year in JUCO, I was a starter, so I never kind of lost lost the starting role. If that makes sense, like I, I once it you is. Do- it is weird as a relief guy to mix in starts because mm-hmm. I feel like every relief pitcher that does this has the same problem is they're hot and like half the time that it should take. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like trying to like extend it out, but not extend it too much, but also like keep it to where this is, this is you being you and not making it too different. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like on that stage that you're able just to go, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do all these yeah. things. And, and, um, and you still give the performance that you do. That's amazing. I'm like one of those guys that like, I could throw 40 pitches and throw 120 pitches. I'm going to be the same soreness the next day. So I kind of, I, I know coach Johnson said something like he had, he had said, Limits on me like certain amount of pitches or innings, whatever. I heard him say that he it was like I want to say it was like I like doubled every three innings or like yeah. 12 batters, or it was something very, very like specific. I think it was 12 batters. Like it, no, I think he said all three things. I think he said like 50 pitches, maybe 12 batters or three innings. And I think I doubled like everything. Yeah. And he actually did tell me that, like when he when I saw him in person that day after he texted me that, um, he did tell me that, and I kind of just walked away like uh, whatever, like I'm I'm gonna go as long as I can. I'll show you. <laughs> but you know what I think this was this. Hey Nate, I'll tell you, man, because there's growth in coaches, and and Daniel will tell you we had Paul Gervais on after last year's uh, postseason, and I remember that game, and he told us, you know. He had cruised through three innings in Hattiesburg, and he told uh, Coach Jay, he said, I have it, don't take me out. 
ultimately he did. And the the guys who followed obviously ended up giving up the runs. And, you know, maybe Jay learns from a moment like that. Hey, man, let's have trust in a guy like Nate. I should have had trust in Paul. I mean, you know, coaches got to learn too. And so he he lets you stay out there longer and and benefited from it. I, th- I think that's an experience thing. And I think that's learning to trust in your guys and, and something that he may, you know, start to do more and more with you guys because he, you know, he sees you guys can do it. He believes in you guys. And like you said, you're a guy who's done it before. So I, I think, you know, it all came full circle and it, it was great that he gave you the opportunity and you thrived the way you did. And, you know, Daniel, I want to tell you, Nate, afterward, you know, he was all smiles. But um, when he came into the hotel, me and Jackson were the first ones right when he came in. And, uh, you know, he wasn't walking like he was bigger than life, like he was better than everybody. Um, you know, he was signing autographs, being being polite. And, th- and that's what I love. Like, he didn't change who the, the guy that I normally see is, you know. You know, he, he could have walked around like he, he was big swinging dick, but he didn't. Like you know, I would have. <laughs> no, he was just, he was just happy, man. And uh, and and Jackson snagged that picture, and I was like, dude, you snagged a picture with the man of the hour, Daniel. I told him, I was like, that that's a picture, and it's right there. It's in that collage that we have on the wall. That's one of his favorite ones. So, bro, I, I would have been like, are you not entertained? <laughs> uh not everybody's yeah, like you, every, Daniel. Everybody. <laughs> But uh, no, man, uh, it was a great moment. And so obviously y'all ultimately complete the whole thing. Um, you know, a fun question me and Daniel always like to ask, where did you end up in the dog pile? Were you smart and got there late, especially as a bullpen guy and made sure you didn't get crushed? Or did you just get too excited and maybe get in there a little too early? So I know I pitched game two and I, I didn't throw that many pitches. And I kind of actually was hot for that game three. And so I was kind of one of the last guys in the bullpen, just just the emergency guys, I guess, just in case something crazy went down. So I was one of the last guys um, to jump in, which is kind of best like, place to be. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I, I I've been in a couple dog piles, and you know the bottom is just not it. Ever since Landon Sims and Logan Tanner said they almost got their skulls crushed, I've I obviously have no reason to be in a dog pile, but I'll give the advice. You know what? Just be the last guy there. You know, exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, couldn't have been happier for you guys. So y'all come into the fall and I'll be honest, you know, I've been down there a few times and, uh, I don't know if I just picked the wrong days. I haven't really got to see you pitch. So man, how has your fall been? Um, actually it's kind of funny you ask. It's actually been very good other than, uh, my last outing of the fall. Uh, are you talking about the last couple of days? Yeah. The last I, day. I heard the lineup opened up on everybody though, for what it's worth. Well, I wasn't really giving, like getting hit around. I just literally what i said earlier in the day you just can't walk people yeah well i I feel like that you know based upon the reports that i was getting back because i was there the weekend before Mm -hmm. and i watched i watched herd i watched holman i watched herring you know jump out or no jumping pitch um let's try to think every everybody who pitched basically thrived and i thought while it's good to see our pitching staff dominate i was like our offense really needs to gain some confidence going into the season so when they were writing me that they were all hitting really well over the last few days, I was like, that's a good thing. Like, I know y'all are like, don't want to see the pitching staff, uh, you know, give up runs, but our offense needs to gain some momentum going into the season. You know, uh, it's kind of, it's one of those weird things on the iron sharpens iron thing, right? Like it's good that y'all are doing well, but um, they need to know what they can do on their end. And so, but I think ultimately it's going to make them better, right? Because they're not going to see a pitching staff, Outside of when they face uh, when we face Arkansas, they're not going to see a pitching staff like their own all year. So they're ready for anything that's going to come at them. Um, you know, 
as far as the pitchers, you know, I just mentioned all the guys. I was really, I was really impressed by all the transfers coming in, the young guys, you know, we had DJ Primo on, you know, I was, I loved him. Obviously Cameron Johnson Herring, I just think is taking a whole nother step. I think you and him are those guys, like I said, maybe didn't get the shine. Some of the other guys did because you're the middle guys, but I mean, y'all are the glue. Um, so I'm just really excited. As far as the bats, though, man, talk to me. You've gotten to face these guys. Um, for the mm-hmm. listeners, who are a few bats that, you know, especially with the departure of so many guys, that you expect to really step up? Um, I think, my, I, like, a lot of – what would that be? I guess when we first got back from January, when we started inter-squatting again after Christmas break, uh, Monster – he has been a demon right now lately. Um, Braswell, he's uh he's just a good contact hitter. Like he's gonna make you work, work to strike strike him out. Um Paxton's been hot. Um Mac. Mac's been seeing the ball really well past uh probably last two weeks. I, he might even have four home runs. I don't know. Pearson looked good the weekend I was there. Yeah. He hit one uh, was it yesterday? Might have hit one yesterday. Yeah, yesterday we kind of uh took a beating. They were hit. <laughs> and that's what I was talking about. Those were the messages. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> like I said, yesterday it, was, it seemed like every other pitch was leaving the yard. But uh yeah, I mean we got some young freshmen that they'll uh get some pinch hits maybe midweek games and they're gonna surprise some people. we we got depth for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So I'm gonna um be starting my season in Campbell. I won't be there until um Florida, which I couldn't be more stoked for uh Shameless plug. Anybody wants to come out there and support me, I get to do the uh, military uh, veteran thing. So, um, but Wait, I, I got to ask, do you get to throw first pitch? I don't know. <laughs> they didn't tell me. Oh, I, I don't God. think I do. I hope you do. I can't. I want to. I'm going to spike it because I'm going to try to throw it as hard as I can, which is going to result. In, you know, somebody actually told me if I did, Daniel, and you might agree with this for for a podcast. Um, you know, getting more recognized. If I could hit the cameraman upside the head it'd probably do great for our ratings um, i mean it just <laughs> but i don't think the better i don't think the veterans this. do i don't know the only time i saw a veteran do it they had like a world war ii vet and i don't fall in his criteria criteria daniel i don't think i got that kind of clout but um yeah no i'm gonna get to see you guys nate on the road in starkville first that's the first sec series um, and then I'm going to see y'all in Fayetteville and then I'll see y'all at home against Vandy in Florida. So four different series stoked for all of them. Um, expect nothing but the best. Um, and man, hopefully we can get that, that repeat. Yes, sir. Repeat. All right, Nate, before you get out of here and start focusing on repeating, we're going to play a game called this or that. You, okay. you good to play? Yeah. All right, so it's very simple. I'm going to give you two options. You choose one option or the other. Can't yeah. say both. Can't say neither. Just be decisive. Pick one. Go with your heart. Go with your gut. And, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. All right, uh, Jeff, this or that. Who's it brought to us by? Chinook Cedary. Eight flavors, mild, wild, best seeds ever. I mean, eight flavors that have now, with combos, and the best part is you don't have to ask the LSU baseball players because they're in the dugout, bro. I know. They got them. They got them. So, Nate, I've been – I t- I taste tested all the flavors. I gave it a rating. 
So now mm-hmm. I'm I'm mixing flavors. I'm doing a little combo session here, and I'm mixing. Did you see? Up. I tried your smoking toast at uh, Swayze the other day. I did. Uh-uh. I only gave it a. It was it was it was good. You weren't wrong, but I only gave it an eight four. I didn't give it a nine like you did. Well, I mean, it's. It, but I'm also an original. That's my guy. ratings. My ratings. I'm an original. So tonight we have the Hatch Chili. We're going back to Hatch Chili. And we're mixing it with the Bobby Witt special, Ooh. the lemon pepper. And so that seems like a I dangerous have, combo. I have come up with a, a, f- a few different names, Nate, and you get to choose the, the name that you want to call this combo. All right. Okay. So yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you the names. I'll do the taste test. I'll give you the rating and then you can give me the name. Sound good. Sounds good. All right. Here are your options. You have the Baja Blast. All right. That's one. The second one is the hatchback. And then the third one, which this, you know, I'm not trying to be biased here, but this is kind of my favorite, kind of a play on words here with old Bobby Witt. Uh, the witty witty bang bang. <laughs> I mean <laughs> here we go. We got three lemon peppers. We do three hatch chilies. Give it a second. Let it simmer. Okay. So, initial is I get a lot of hatch, a lot of the hatch chili. And I like that because I'm not a big lemon pepper fan. I'll be I'll be totally honest. The, the lemon pepper is just not my thing. All right. As it sits and it simmers and it dances a little bit, you start getting some citrus filtering through. Not bad. Not too bad. All right. All right. So the big the big thing that I look for is initial reaction, how it sits in the mouth after a little bit. And then the big question is, is you know, is this a everyday seed? Is this a once a game? combo or is this an all game combo and for this this is a once a game combo this is like a uh like a specialty day when you know it's hot outside you need just a little something different this is the one that you go to um if you are throwing back just originals and you're like oh man i need a little hit of something mix these two it's a perfect amount of hit of each um not overpowering i'm gonna give this one nate i'm gonna give it Seven six, seven six. Not bad. Seven six out of ten. Okay. All right. So you get the honors of naming this bad boy. What are we going with? Are we going with the witty witty bang bang? Uh in ode of Bobby Witt Jr. Are we going with the hatchback? Or are we going with the Baja Blast? Where are you going I think, with I think I was leaning towards option C, the witty witty bang bang. But since it's a low score, I, I don't think we can name it that. You know, uh, you can but, name it whatever you want to. I think we're I think we're gonna have to go with option A, the uh, Baja Blast. Baja Blast. All right, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it, Bobby Witt. You've been trumped by Nate Ackenhausen. He's saying this is the Baja Blast, only out of respect for you. He says if it was higher, we we would name it the Witty Witty Bang Bang. 
So, all right, there it is, Baja Blast. Now, we paid the bills. Now we got to play our game. Okay. Chicken, chicken or beef tacos? Chicken. Bar soap or liquid soap? Liquid. Boy, I got co- hey, I got Coach Armstrong earlier, Daniel. I told him the whole liquid soap doesn't actually clean your hands, and he was like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, when I used the glue on my mohawk, I was like, I can't even use liquid soap. It doesn't even wash my hands. I got to go bar." And then, weirdly enough, I always talk about how the soap question leads us in different directions. Daniel, he starts telling me his coach's glue products for my hair. So, <laughs> didn't expect that. Man, that that conversation took a wild turn. Wow. Just out of, a, not, out of a but, simple soap question. But I did have him believe in liquid soap doesn't actually clean your hands. So another victim. I mean, you're spreading lies around. So purple or gold unis? We got new unis this year. Ooh. No, I'm, I'm going to stick with the, the gold. The with the piping, though. But he, yeah, he's always pitching. When he's shoving, he's always wearing gold. Yeah, gold. Gold. Would you rather be lost in a jungle or trapped in a haunted house? Jungle. We finally got a haunted house earlier, too, Daniel. I mean. He said he doesn't even do mosquito bites, so he took the haunted house. I mean, the the jungle is a scary mother. I oh, mean, yeah. realize Mike the Tiger isn't caged in the jungle there, Nate. yeah. And he likes to play at night, so I'm good. <laughs> I'm all good. All right, who hits better bombs? All right. Belly bombs or cruise missiles? What you got? Cruise. Ooh. All right. Cruise missiles or Tommy Tanks? Tommy Tanks. Only because he's on, he, he's still there. Gotta, gotta, gotta hot, hot take. to your guy. Hot take. Give me Joe Bombs over all of them. Jeez. That's your boy. Yeah, give me Travinsky. Give me Travinsky. <laughs> there you go. Ooh. He's taking care of his captain right there. I see. Yeah. Nate said, let, let him swing a stick. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's something I yeah. didn't yeah. Watch them all. You know what? Shame on me, Daniel. You know what? Let me ask that question to ruin your this or that game for a second. You know, how dare I not talk about the fact that you have three stud catchers to pitch you just how awesome is it to man have you know a guy like neil that's young and talented but then two veterans like malazzo and travinsky behind the plate it's awesome experience back there and uh especially this year with uh all the bullpens we throw and how much we've uh inter-squatted that the connection you build and they kind of have good feel about like do I like being set up? Like if he calls an outside pitch, do I want him set up on the black or do I want him set out actually off the plate? So they all kind of, you know, have good feel for that. And, you know, you feel confident throwing that O2 pitch in the dirt, you know, it's going to get blocked. Daniel, could you ever say in your time pitching in high school or college, you had three amazing catchers? I mean, three. No, you it's catchers are hard to find man good ones are um and for you guys to have three and you know that's not you blowing smoke like we've seen all three of them we've talked to all three of them so it's it's like we know what you're saying and and i don't think people really underestimate how vital having a catcher know the staff is and when you can rotate any one of those three in and those pitchers are comfortable 
throwing balls in the dirt or throwing balls off the plate or blacking balls, you know, like knowing the pitcher is crucial. So like having those guys is key, man. Um, So I feel you. I definitely feel you. Would you rather have a private jet or a private yacht? I'm going to take, I'm going to take the private jet because if I have a private jet, I probably have enough money <laughs> to uh, buy a boat and I don't really need a yacht. I just need a good fishing boat. There you go. <laughs> practical. Very practical. All right. Last question. Would you rather win 10 or would you rather me give you $10 million or would you rather win a na- another national championship? So another me- national championship. You already just got one that. though. Ten million dollars. Yeah. Hey, exactly. It's rare to win two. Oof. What are you, what are you gonna do with two? <laughs> you can probably just sit in the safe again. But at least I know I, I got both. I could tell you what you're not gonna do with two. Sell one for ten million. <laughs> well, if I got two, it's two more than what a lot of people got. Daniel, I have I have been adamant that I definitely, you know, especially when you talk about memories and everything, I definitely would take the first natty over ten million. But if there's a second one involved, I, I'm I got to get the money on this one, man. I definitely got to roll it up. Yeah, I don't know, like that. Yeah, I, I think I, I <laughs> there's not a scenario. I, every time guys answer this question. I always try to think to myself, what is the scenario that would be like, yes, I'll take this national championship. And like, even if I was like injured and then came back or had some type of adversity, like I still feel like I would take $10 million. (laughs) Here's the thing. I think, uh, I think knowing like, how do I say it? Like knowing that the season's over, and you didn't lose, you know, to lose the season. I think it's just like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a weird feeling, but, you know, all the other teams end on a loss and you got to sit there all off season and think about how you lost. And then well, you're one of only the few people we've asked the second one. You know, we had Skeens come on here and somebody who just got $10 million and said he would give the money and the draft pick back for, uh, and keep his national championship, but rarely do we ask two, and that's what's made the equation differently. Like, I don't know, but hey, yeah, like you said, rarely can you say that you've won two um, back to back in college baseball. It's just not done. Daniel, who did it? South Carolina was the last one to do it, right? Yeah, I think so. What was that? Two thousand nine? Was it thirty? I don't know. I'm. I'm blanking, but yeah, it's been, it's been a while. And then before them, it had been a while. So yeah, just not something that that's done. I mean, they talked about it last night in the Super Bowl. I mean, it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. Um, It's just, it's rare for back-to-backs. It's so hard to win, but college baseball, the field is so, so wide open. So many things got to go right. Um, Yeah. So if you win two, I mean, and especially because we talk about your choice to go to LSU, like, man, talk about getting it right. For real. All right, Nate, man, it's been a pleasure. Anything you want to plug or promote before you get out of here? No, not really. I appreciate y'all having me on here. I got him on one, Daniel. We talking about get the it. poster. His poster actually says "Nasty Nate." It doesn't get better when you talk. Like I talked about my favorite posters, him 
And Trey Morgan's saying Captain Morgan are my two favorite easily. Like Nasty Nate and Captain Morgan. Nice slogans. Go get your Nate poster from the athletic collection. It's worth it. Appreciate it. Or if you want to see what Nate's up to on Monday or Tuesday night, go on over to IG at Nate Ackenhausen. If you want to know what the LSU baseball squad's up to, go to IG at LSU baseball. You'll get up-to-date scores. You'll get pitching rotations. You'll know when Nate's toeing the rubber. Uh, you'll get hype videos, highlights, the whole nine. So check them out. You won't be disappointed, I promise you, because I think, Jim, you've said it before, is LSU, when it comes to social media accounts and highlights and hype videos, like, yeah, they're, the they're, they're top tier. It's the best. Don't get beat. No, nobody's taking that title. Nate, dude, we wish you nothing but the best. Happy, healthy, successful season. Hopefully you guys can make another magical run. At the very least, um, you know, we'll have you back on and we'll talk about it. And, you know, we wish you the best. If there's anything we can do for you, let me know. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Absolutely. That's Nate Agenhausen, everybody. If you like hearing Nate's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, thumbs up, hearts, hugs, loves. We'll take it all. We got a stacked week. We've got tomorrow, Curtis Byrne, TCU Baseball. We've got Campbell Baseball on Wednesday with Lawson Harrell. We've got Mississippi State Track with Mallory Stretman. It's it's stacked, dude. Jim, it not only that, we have college baseball season Friday. I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. You're so ready. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, our survivor baseball game starts this week. We've got the four tribes. For the first four weeks of non-conference play, you're gonna see the lowest or the weakest player from each tribe eliminated the next three weeks you'll see two players that are the weakest get eliminated leading us into the back half of conference play where one person the weakest person will get eliminated each week with the conclusion of the three players remaining going into the conference tournament those three players based on their conference tournament, based on their season as a whole, they will have votes for them to win by the players that were voted out. So it'll be a, a good season. Look for it on social media. We'll be out there. We'll be hyping it, but we'll also be giving you the results along the way. This has been the End Off the Bench Podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out. <laughs>